Good evening, church. Welcome to Midweek Bible Study. I'm excited that we get another opportunity to fellowship in God's Word. Um, before I start, let me also say thank you to Pastor Robert. I was blessed last week by what he shared on being transformed by the Word. I, I had great feedback on that message. It, it was good. I was blessed. So, sorry, God bless, bless you and thank you allowing me to also take a breather you know it, it it was it was nice just listening and and not preparing to teach and all that stuff so so thank you amen all right let's let's start out with a word of prayer father we thank you for tonight as we come before your word we pray that your word will minister to us in simplicity and in clarity of speech we thank you for all the rich nuggets of revelation and truth that you have shown to us as we've gone through your scriptures and uh, especially when it comes to the subjects on joy from Philippians. Thank you for more lights, more revelation that you will, sh you will share our way tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Honestly, I thought we were going to wrap up Philippians tonight. And I know we are done, but some way, somehow, I felt like have another look into the scripture. So we will actually finish the, our series on joy, the book of Philippians next week. Amen. So we've got one more installment to go. I really thought today, like, that would be it. We're done and we're good. Uh, <clears throat> one of the things I'm learning about when it comes to ministering the gospel, sometimes it's not to rush it. The, the goal of ministration sometimes is to bring understanding to the people. And even if it means that you have to repeat it seven or eight times, uh, you just repeat it so that they will get the understanding and get the full meat of it. It's better for people to understand the message than to be governed by timelines. Amen. So that's something that I have learned throughout as I'm still growing in ministry. Amen. So I believe this message is apropos to our current context in this world because we are talking on joy. And throughout this book, I believe we've all learned on what joy is, the source of joy, the distinguishing features of joy, and from which is prevalent in all four chapters. When you look at the four chapters that we've been doing in Philippians, you will see the features of joy. It shows strongly. In chapter one, we looked at when, when you are joyful, you pray. You maintain a strong prayer life. You have gratitude, right? It doesn't affect your zeal and your devotion. All these things come because of the presence of joy. Amen. So if you want to really maintain an active prayer life, focus on cultivating joy because there is no way a joyful Christian will not delight in prayer. Amen. So um, I believe that what we've shared is, is so timely. And we have also looked at the difference between joy and happiness. Amen. All the differences, because it was more than one. Okay. So go with me to Philippians chapter 4. We are, we are definitely at the last chapter. We have 13 more verses, and then we will wrap it up. But today, I just want to focus mainly on three verses. That's from verses 10 to 13 verses 10 to 13 uh, every now and then i will advise you try and read this book of the bible it's only four chapters 
if you should just do it on audio bible it, it will take you about 58 minutes you are done amen some of the episodes on your netflix channel or amazon prime or whatever streaming service you use it's it's more than an hour amen so it's it's just it's just saying I, I was telling somebody the other time, one of the biggest deceptions is to say, I don't have time. It's, it's a lie. That's why you have your data at the end of, you know, every week, a Sunday, your phone, your phone usage. Your phone usage shows you have time. Your phone usage shows you have time. So we have time. So just qualify it. I don't have time for Bible reading. I don't have time for prayer. But don't just say, I don't have time. It's not true. You, you do have time. You have time. Amen. So let's make time to read this book over and over again. Because this book is really important and it's very relevant in whatever situation we find ourselves currently in. Amen. I tell you, we are in what they call the post-COVID era and it's tough. It's tough, you know. And I believe uh, what will help us to go through or navigate our season is to have joy. And to have joy, one of the sources is to read the book of Philippians, to know what is joy and how to have it. Amen. All right. So verses 10 to 20, it touches on the Philippians' generosity. You know, so we are looking at Philippians chapter 4 from verses 10 going. And it's, it's uh, Philippians chapter 4 is made of 23 verses. We've done 9 so far, and we are starting from verse 10. But verses 10 to 20 touches on the Philippians' generosity. It will be blessed when we touch on that. And then <clears throat> the last three verses, that's verses 20 to 23, uh, it's just benediction, uh, closing and and, you know, wrapping up the book. Amen. But today, I just want us to zero in for the purpose of our study on verses 10 to 13. All right, so we are reading Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 13. Okay. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 13. I read, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I don't know of you, but personally, the word that jumped at me when I read those verses is content. Amen. So content in this context means three things. It means sufficient for oneself. You know, mind you, Paul was speaking to a Greek-speaking uh, populace, okay? So when they hear the word content, three things that every average Greek person knows. 
it meant you are sufficient. And you are sufficient, meaning you don't really need no support. So that's the first understanding of the word content. The second understanding is, it means you are independent of external circumstance. So that means you don't allow things to really bother you. You know, so let me even put it in today's climate. When you are independent of external circumstances, the news doesn't have bearing on your emotions. Not that you don't feel or you don't care, but you are able to say it's in God's hands. Economists are predicting between six to nine months, we might probably enter into the Great Depression again, you know, and, you know, it might not be good for markets. When you hear such things and when you have joy, you are independent of external things. You know that God is going to take care of me. God is my provider. You don't let it phase you. Like the water is currently, you know, still um, 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 boiling, you know, in Ukraine, Ukraine-Russo war. Uh, you know, even though you are concerned, you pray that, look, uh, there should be less casualties because more people have died and we pray that peace will prevail. You, you don't let it bother you to the case where you feel like, wow, it could mean there will be a third world war. God is going to take care of me. That's, that's content. You are independent of external circumstances. You appreciate the circumstance. You know what is happening. But at the end of the day, you are independent because you know you are in God's hands. So independent of external circumstance. And when we look at Paul's life, he was independent of external circumstance. What was his external circumstance? He was a prisoner. He's in prison. He has an index number, right? He wasn't bothered. Independent. He's content. And then the third meaning of the word content means to be satisfied with one slot or means. So in, when we talk about these three, what really applied to Paul then was the second one, independent of external circumstances, because Paul, Paul needed support. And when you are in prison, you are impoverished, right? He needed support. Uh, so two and three, I'll say, really fits. Paul's criteria, because Paul was independent of the external circumstance of his day. Uh, it was a very frightening situation to be in. One of the popular stories now we hear now is Brittany Griner, you know, um, WNBA star who has been imprisoned in Russia. It's, it's a lot, you know, she spent over 200 days. People are wondering, is she going to come back? Is she going to be put into harsh labor in Russia and, you know, WNBA and virtually the sports world are campaigning for her to come back because, you know, it, it can be quite scary. And her identity to her being an American. But I, I'm not trying to be insensitive to her plight, but what Paul faced, it's nothing compared to Brittany Griner's situation. Nothing at all. Very harsh, very grim, very dark, no hope. You know, but, but Paul was independent of that external circumstance because of joy. And because he had joy, one of the features that showed that he had joy was contentment. You can't be content if you don't have joy. It's not going to happen. 
contentment exhibits itself strongly in a joyful Christian. That's why this series is helping us on how to receive joy. We have to know about joy and then how to receive it, allow joy to have its perfect work in us. And when joy begins to have its perfect work in us, we will see certain distinguishing features. And one of the last features, this is the last feature that we see uh, in the book of Philippians, is that a joyful Christian is a contented person. Paul was independent of his circumstance. And then he was satisfied with his lot or means. Wow. You know, it, it, you know, he was satisfied. Like, of, oh, I'm in prison. Okay. If I die, I'm going to heaven. And that's how Paul saw it. It can't get better than this. So contentment, sufficient for oneself, meaning you are okay to needing no support, independent of external circumstances, and satisfied with one's lot or means. That's contest. When Paul says that I am content, that is what he means. So, like I said, when we have joy, one of the features that will exhibit strongly is contentment. So, when you see a discontented person, you are seeing a joyless person. Because it's only a person who has truly understood joy, allowed joy to fully work in him that will be able to exhibit the traits or the quality of contentment. And when you are not content, you'll be greedy. That's the opposite of contentment. It's greed. Another Bible word for it is covetousness. But I think when we say greed, we get it. And greed is tantamount to idolatry. You know that in the Bible, when you are called greedy, you are an idol worshiper. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5, NIV. I'm reading this in the New International Version. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So we need to really allow joy to have its perfect work in us. And like I say, the source of joy is having fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. So if you don't have fellowship with the Holy Spirit, how is joy going to be ripened, be manifested, and how will it pop up in you? And when you have joy, one of the ingredients, one of the qualities of joy is contentment. And when you are content, you are free from idol worship. So anybody who worships idol, an idol worshiper is a joyless person. If you've truly found joy in Christ, you you will you flee from idol worship. I think there's a scripture in the Bible that says, my, my beloved, my little children, flee from idols. Joyless people will have idols. And when we are talking about idols, we are not even talking about a wooden structure or idols of the past. The devil is also smart. He's also advanced. Today, one of the ways you will know people are idol worshippers is greed. Greed. 
and we live in a system here in America, unfortunately, that promotes greed. You see, where there is greed, there's materialism. Where there is materialism, there is excess and, and the appetites for more. Greed. And when you are greedy, more and more becomes your God. More and more. More and more of food. More and more of sex. More and more of everything. Everything that is bad becomes your God. But people who are greedy, one of the strongest gods they worship is money. And that is one of the strongest competitors to God. I think Jesus foresaw 2022. And that's why he told the disciples, you can't serve God and mammon. Uh, hate one, love one. You can't serve both. But sometimes you see people or even well-meaning Christians who are trying to manage both. You can't manage both. You have to distinguish your loyalty. Amen. A greedy person is an idol worshiper who mostly worships the God of silver. Look with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10. And when you're an idol worshiper, you are cursed. Look at the curse. He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. This also is vanity. Uh, this was not a poor man writing the scripture. Mind you, this guy, the person who penned this is not poor. The person who penned this was the richest king ever in the history. In fact, it's even argued that Solomon might probably be the richest king in the world, ever. It's argued because his, his wealth has not yet been seen. It, it can be argued. So the person who wrote this was not a poor person. The person who wrote this was not envious of rich people. The person who wrote this was living in wealth. Read Ecclesiastes chapter 2. He starts to talk about his achievements. This is the man. And this is a man who was now old and was reflecting about life. You know, Solomon wrote three books. He wrote Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, and Songs of Solomon. Commentator said he wrote Songs of Solomon when he was still a king. And he wrote Songs of Solomon particularly because he had a certain affection for one of the women. And, and that affection, when you read it carefully, it, it sort of mirrors between how Jesus had love for us, the, 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 the hot pursuing love. And so he wrote that when he was a king. It was said that he wrote Proverbs when he was young. But he wrote Ecclesiastes when he was old and at the point of death. After he had enjoyed 700, you know, Solomon literally had a thousand women. Excess. He had 700 wives, 300 concubines. He had seen all his kingdom had been established. 
you know, he had enjoyed real wealth. God had given him wisdom. Solomon was the only king in the history of Israel that didn't have to fight battles to extend his territory. He was very wise. He wasn't the wisest man on earth. He was the wisest king because the wisest man on earth was Jesus. He was the wisest king. But after everything, all is said and done, the wealthiest king is saying that if you love silver, you will never be satisfied with silver. And that's the case of an idol worshiper. You will always want more. You will never be satisfied. Uh, or if you love abundance with increase, you will never be satisfied. Contentment today is a lost art. It's a lost virtue. It needs to come back. And when we talk about contentment, contentment is different from being complacent. Amen. They are not really the same. So a contented person can easily rejoice. Paul, though he was shackled in chains and, and not in the best environment, could still rejoice. And that's why when we read verse 10, he says, But I rejoice in the, in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. You know where Paul was? Paul was in jail. The sentence of death was looming over his head. It, it, it wasn't likely he was going to be a, a, um, um, a free person. It wasn't likely. But by the way, Paul got out from prison. So that was good news. But in those situations, it wasn't really likely. It wasn't even a 50-50 chance. It was more like a 99%, 1% chance of Paul getting out of jail. Because those days, if you're a Christian, when you go, you just die. You just die. October is known as the Reformation Month. Right? So in October, I do read a lot of, you know, Reformation history. And, and some of the people that were killed, they were killed because they just preached, you have been justified by faith. Justification by faith alone. People were killed in the 18th century in England. Sticks were put around them and they were bent. Don't preach that message. And that was even England after many years. And we are talking about first century. So can you imagine? There was no, there, 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 there wasn't a way out for Paul. When you go to prison those days, it was known as no return. You are not really returning. And this was the situation Paul said, but he could still rejoice. He could still rejoice. And he rejoiced for the Philippian church because they had the opportunity to do good to him or to minister to him. So joy is powerful. So I really pray that as we are going through this book and as we are about to wrap up, you don't just understand what joy is but you also truly experience the liberating effects of joy in your life as a christian to make a huge difference when you have joy you are very content don't become greedy don't become greedy amen so that was paul
When we read verse 10, it says that, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. One of the things I learned here is that count it a great opportunity when you can be a blessing to someone or do good. The, the, you know, to do good is an opportunity. But many people don't see it that way. They take it for granted. I believe we are all Christians. I'm speaking to Christians here. When God impresses upon your heart to be a blessing to someone, to do good to somebody, do it. It's an opportunity. Because let me tell you, you will not always have the opportunity. Contrary to popular belief, we take the opportunity for granted. And, and one of the reasons why we take it for granted is that we think we have time. But you don't have time. Not so. You could lose your job. You could lose your job. And when you lose your job, you might not have the opportunity to do good. You might not have the opportunity to bless somebody. You could lose your health. You might not have the opportunity because maybe sometimes to be a blessing might involve a bit of your health. You might not have that opportunity. Uh, you could have lifestyle changes. Like this pandemic, it has changed many people's lifestyle. I once had a job that paid me a lot of money. My job was due to the COVID. My job became a casualty. And I have to downsize my, my lifestyle. That alone even made people depressed. I can't afford a four-bedroom house because my job is gone. So now I have to go and look for another job. And the job that I'm getting is not matching the pay bracket of my former job. So now what do I have to do? I have to leave my, my four-bedroom house and go and live in an apartment. It's, 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 it, can be, it can be quite depressing. I'm not saying it's not depressing. It can be. It can be. Right? So like I'm saying, lifestyle changes. All these things can happen. And you might not have the opportunity to do good. And many more. And worst of all, the person that you are supposed to help to can die. What are you going to do? They can die. So when God impresses upon our hearts as believers, or even when we read the Bible, and the Bible convicts us to do good, please do it. It's an opportunity. And the reason is because the Philippian church, they wanted to be a blessing to Paul, but they never had the opportunity. But when the opportunity came, they seized it. So doing good is an opportunity. Don't take it for granted. If you are alive today and you felt impressed upon your heart to do good to somebody, Maybe it might, not, it might not mean to give him money. Maybe it might mean to visit him. It might mean to give him a call. It might mean to pray for him. It might mean to say an encouraging word. Or it might even mean to even patronize his or her products. Do it because you will not always have the opportunity. But one of the mistakes that we always make is we think we have time. You don't have that luxury of time. Amen. So that thing really jumped at me, opportunity.
the Philippian church had the opportunity and they seized it. Now, some powerful truths on contentment from Paul that we can learn. In verse 11 and verse 12. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to abase and know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. One of the greatest qualities of joy is contentment. And, and Paul, Paul mentioned two things. He said, I have learned to abase. I have learned to abound. That's real contentment. And like I said, contentment flows from a joyful Christian. It's one of the distinguishing features of contentment. So you may ask, how can I become content? Focus on building your relationship with God to the point that the fruit of joy will be manifested in you. And when joy is manifested in you, one of the qualities of joy is contentment. Do you understand? That Paul is saying that for, for us to understand this contentment, we will have to learn how to abase, we will have to learn how to abound. And in Paul's case, what does it mean to abase and abound? He meant to be full and to be hungry, to abound and to suffer need. And then I like what he said in verse 12. He said, everywhere and in all things. Everywhere. It talks about place. So Paul could live anywhere. He could live in the ghettos and the slums. He could live in the suburbs because of contentment. No matter where life puts him, he's still able to survive. Some of us, we only know how to survive in, or abound. Sometimes that's not the best. You have to learn both. Sometimes, sometimes life, life has changing scenes. You have to learn how to manage both. You have to learn how to manage when you don't have money. You have to learn how to manage when you are in plenty. And that's, that's the mystery of life. Paul says, I've learned to abound. I've learned how to abyss. Paul was in prison. Paul knew what it meant to live like an educated man, an elite man. You know, Paul was very elite. Paul was an elitist. Pharisees those days, they were very elitist. What do I mean by someone who is elitist? That means that they only like to flow with people of elite stature. That was, that was the Pharisees. That was one of their, their distinguishing hallmarks. And they also like to sit among the chief seats. One of the ways to offend a Pharisee is to seat him wrongly. He'll be very offended. It comes to a, a function, a party, or things like that. They always want to be mentioned, given acknowledgement. And Paul was like that. Paul was an elitist. This was a converted elitist. 
Now he look at how he's talking. He said, I know how to abase. Pharisees don't know how to abase. They know how to abase. That's why they couldn't minister to the people. They don't know how to abase. They don't, they don't know how to relate and minister to men of low stature. Pharisees didn't know how to do that. They only knew how to minister to people of high stature, the elites. And that's not Christian ministry. Christian ministry, you have to learn how to minister to people who are abased and people who are bound. And what's the meaning of the word abased? Abased also means to be humble. And humble means humiliation. Humble and humiliation, they go together. Humility and humiliation. That means you are brought low by life. We have to learn how to minister to these people. You can't call yourself a Christian and people you always want to minister to are rich people, wealthy people. And I'm not saying rich and wealthy people don't deserve the gospel. They deserve the gospel, but they deserve the gospel as much as the poor people. Okay, so don't elevate one above the other. See them all on the same scale. Amen. So God, when you are rich, it doesn't care whether you are rich. You are rich, you can go to heaven or you can go to hell, depending on your life choice. Abraham is a rich man and he's in heaven and he's a father of faith. Luke chapter 16, the rich young fool too was rich, but he's in hell. So God has no respect of standing or stature. So when we call ourselves believers, when we call ourselves Christians, and the fruit of joy has, has manifested strongly in us, one of the things that we learn is that we learn how to minister to both classes, and we also learn how to endure both seasons. And Paul, Paul learned how to abase. He learned how to abound. Now, Paul could have complained. I'm an educated man. When I came to Christ, look at what is happening to me. Paul could have complained. You know, being a Pharisee was equivalent to having a PhD. That's why when you are a Pharisee, you are a doctor. You are a doctor because you dealt with doctrine. You are a doctor. You are doctored in the law because you deal with doctrine. Equivalent to PhD. Very smart guy, very clever. And they were well taken care of. Pharisees were not poor. And they also loved money. There's a scripture in the Bible, I think Luke 16. It says, and the Pharisees who were lovers of money. When Jesus was talking about if you are faithful in small, if you are faithful in little, you'll be faithful in much. If you are faithful in another man's, will God not give you honor? And if you are faithful in unrighteous mammon, will God not deliver to you true riches? That's scripture. When you read the verses, that's Luke chapter 16. And it says, and they were lovers of money. And Jesus was saying that because he was talking about stewardship. He said there was a man, an owner who had the steward, who had wasted his goods, and he was going to be sacked. And if you read the story, I wouldn't want to go into the rest of the story. But what my, my point is the Pharisees loved money. Even though they were taken care of, they were lovers of money. Mammon was their God. But Paul, 
See, the big difference was that he has shifted from religion to relationship with God. And he had come to a place where joy had been made perfect to the point that certain distinguishing features of joy were showing. And one of them was contentment. He knew how to abase. He knew how to abound. Paul knew how to endure different seasons. And believe I hear me, you have to learn how to endure different seasons. I, I do remember once upon a time, we were very rich, that's in Ghana, and then we became poor. And I remember when we became poor, I had a very horrible and foul attitude. And I was a Christian. I was a Christian. I was, a, I was actually doing ministry. Doing ministry, preaching, ministering the gospel, ministering in small fellowships, ministering in small churches, ministering in SUs, different SUs. In Ghana, SU is a common term, means scripture union, ministering. And I was also a worker in the church. But I do remember. There's no fault of my mom or anything. The business just collapsed, collapsed, collapsed. Lost our house, moved from our house to a small boy's quarters, a family of four. It was rough. Had a far attitude. I was angry at life. If you knew me during those times, you would have said, this, this guy is non-smiling. Oh, seriously. That was not, I was not really smiling. I was angry. I had an attitude. I was angry even at my father. Because I remember my father and my mother at that point, their marriage went south. They divorced. Thank God they remarried until my father's demise. But it was rough. Blaming everybody. Blaming God. I had a very foul attitude. And I, re I, I, I remember one of the reasons why I had a very horrible and a far attitude was because I was a joyless Christian. Because if I truly had joy, the distinguishing feature of contentment would have shown. But it wasn't. It's a foul. No car. Now I have to use public transport. It was rough. Had a horrible, stinking attitude for one year. Because even though I was involved in ministry, involved in church, I, I, I don't think I was, and, and, and I believe I was praying. I was praying, praying, but I, I don't think I had allowed the prayer and having devotion to really affect the quality of my life that I will have joy. And some way, somehow I changed. And when I changed, my outlook became better. It didn't even matter. I remember I had some of the best experiences in that shack. But what changed? Joy. Joy was the big difference. Joy was the big difference. And I remember once my attitude changed, it wasn't long. A door out of nowhere opened for me to go to England. All this would have not happened if I hadn't fixed my attitude. Fix my attitude by allowing the devotion, all the prayer and everything to really fix my quality of Christian life for joy to be made manifest. That wasn't easy.
And one of the greatest heroes for me is my mom. Because I've seen her model what it is like to live like a Christian. She, she blesses me. I, I watch her, I just get inspired. True Christianity will show when you have to abase. And will you do well in abasement as in abundance? True Christianity show. Here is Paul. Paul has been reduced to nothing. Has just an index number. You know, when you're a prisoner, who cares to know your name? You are nothing. You are at the lowest of the low on the totem pole. But here is Paul. He's content. He doesn't even care whether he will come out of prison. He doesn't care whether his churches will hold a rally and put hashtags, Apostle Paul should come home. All that of them is just content because he was a joyful Christian. And I pray tonight that may we be joyful. Amen. Let me read this on contentment. Go with me to First Timothy chapter 6. I wish I could explain it from verse 3, but that's fine. Let's do it from verse 6. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. How do you become content? You only become content when you cultivate joy. How do you cultivate joy? You cultivate joy by having an unbroken fellowship and relationship with God. And I believe during our 30 for 30, one of our prayer topics we prayed on one of the days was, may we have the discipline to maintain unbroken fellowship and relationship with God. And we maintain fellowship and relationship with God through prayer, reading the Bible. These are primarily, and then we have other secondary things. But when you develop that relationship with God, joy will manifest. And when joy manifests, one of the strong features of joy is our content. Amen. The Bible says that when we are content with godliness, it is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing else. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. These messages are not popular now. Because sometimes we have an idea that when you are preaching this, you are exalting poverty. But that's not true. The way up in the kingdom is the way down. It will surprise you that when you have this outlook, the things that you are not looking for, you will rather have them. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Look, if you love money too much, you become very sorrowful. Don't be fooled by billionaires who are flexing. And when you, when you love money, you'll be sorrowful. Scripture has said it. And we just read it in the scripture. If you love silver, you would never be satisfied with silver. 
Does that mean God doesn't want us to have money? No, that's not what it means. But God wants us to shift our focus to him who is our provider. Learn how to be satisfied. And that's why when I was de defining content, uh, uh, contentment, I, the third definition is that you are satisfied with your lot. You are not greedy. I know you want a Mercedes-Benz, but can you be satisfied with your master? Contentment. You want a Mercedes-Benz that you even struggle to even pay. If you need your two weeks pay to pay your car notes, you don't need it. You are not living in court. I'm telling you, you are not living in court. I'm telling you authoritatively and confidently by the word of God. You are not living a contented life if you are using two weeks of your pay to pay your card notes. <laughs> Brother, sister, you have a major problem. You are not living a life of contentment. I know some people who were our friends. They came and they saw I'll leave the story. But contentment. People like to hear. Someone asked me that you're like this. What do you want to hear? It's okay. <laughs> contentment. Can we be satisfied with where God has placed us? So I'm from complacence. To be complacent means you lack vision, you lack purpose. People who are complacent normally don't have a purpose and they don't have a vision. But to be content means that you have a vision, you have a plan, but you've submitted it to God and you believe that whatever has been the outcome, that is what God has lotted for me. I accept it. It doesn't mean you are, you are, you are complacent. Complacency is not a good quality. And the Bible doesn't encourage us to be complacent. Amen. Now, let you know, you will pierce yourself with many sorrows if you love money. I think yesterday I saw a viral clip of Kanye West. I think he was doing an interview somewhere. I think Drink Champs or something. And he was saying that he thought when he had a billion, a billion would have made him happy. But it hasn't. He thought a billion will make him work less. But it hasn't. It's rather making him work more. Because he said to have a billion, you will have to protect that billion. You have a certain fear that you could lose the money and everything. So right now, he's not just, you don't want to earn more, but you are also fighting to keep because he's always having lawsuits. Just a short clip. I think less than a minute. Then I look for the interview. I saw that the interview is three hours. And I, man, I don't have I don't have time to sit down and listen to three hours of Kanye West. Man. <laughs> yeah. If it was a 40 minutes or 30 minutes, I will listen. I don't have time. I have time to listen to one hour preaching, but I don't have time to listen to one hour podcast of a celebrity. If it's 20 minutes, I will. I'll give my time. But I, 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 I thought it was very revealing. 
And I was looking at his net worth. I went after this, I'm like, how much does he have? He has like 6.6 billion. I think that's his net worth. And he's saying that it doesn't make you happy. It doesn't. The things that we are struggling for, open your ears, open your eyes, watch and listen to the people who have it and think whether they are happy. They are not. They have contentment. That is what brings happiness. It's not in the abundance of the... That's why Jesus Christ on this earth one of the wise things he said, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things he has. What will it gain you if you gain the whole world that you lose your soul? We should try and get this wisdom now. We shouldn't wait till we die. Oh, get it now. Contentment. Amen. And Paul was very content. And I pray that may you be content. Be content at each and every stage God has placed you. I have learned as a pastor to be content with ministry. Not complacent, but content. And when you are content, you, you, you are comfortable in your skin. You don't try to be what you are not. You don't exaggerate things. If four people came to church, just say four people. Don't say a lot of people. It's a difference between four people and a lot of people. You don't try and be what you are not. Just learn to be content. God has your future. God has your, your progress in his hand. Amen. So that's Paul. And what helped Paul to become content? Verse 13 of Philippians chapter 4. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So, so Paul attributed his contentment. The reason why he was able to suffer abasement and enjoy abundance was because of Christ's power, which was in him. He do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I like one thing about the Gospels. The Gospels always points back to Christ. Not about Paul, self-will, motivation, or anything like that. He could do all things through Christ who strengthens him. And that's what is called might. When we, when we have might, we are strengthened with Christ's power, and we have the ability to do everything. And, and with Paul, in context, the, 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 the ability to have to be able to do all things was to endure all seasons, good seasons, tough seasons, seasons of light, seasons of darkness. He could endure it all. He could endure all things through Christ who strengthened him. One of the ways to be strengthened with might is by prayer. Colossians chapter 1 verse 11, Good News Translation. This was Paul praying for the Colossian church and listen to one of his prayer points. May you be made strong with all the strength which comes from his glorious power so that you may be able to endure everything with patience. So if you want to be able to 
the contents. And, and one of the meanings of contentment is that you are able to endure all seasons. Pray to God that God give me strength. It's only through the power of prayer that we can harness strength that will help us to endure. And that's what helped Paul. Paul was able to endure a tough Roman cell. A shutdown Russian cell. Able to endure. He was able to even pen a letter and encourage the people to rejoice. I mean, you are writing the book of Philippians. I don't see the word depression there, the word sad, because that's what he should have written. All right. I'm depressed, I'm sad, but I'm joyful. Rejoice in the Lord. Why? Because joy is working perfectly in him. Joy is working perfectly. And the feature, one of the features of joy we've learned tonight is contentment. The ability to endure all things. That is good or bad. Endure. I've seen that to be really true. If you want to fix up your attitude, just say, Lord, let the fruit of joy be made manifest in me. Like I said, when my attitude changed, we didn't move out of the shack. I left that shack and went to England. We didn't move out of that shack. The, we didn't have more money. We didn't have a car. None of that. We lost everything. Everything. But I had joy. I had, I had, I had, I had, I had a certain level of, it had no understanding. I had a piece that had no answer. That's when I read Philippians chapter four. I don't read it from a theoretical standpoint. I read it from a very practical and a very personable and a very applicable experience because I've experienced it. When you come to a place where you allow God to work on you so that the fruit of joy manifesting you. I'm telling you, you could be living in Agatha, but you, you will have peace. And we are not saying that I live in Agatha. But when life puts you in some of these changing scenes, be able to endure it until your time of deliverance. That's what I'm saying. Amen. It's 8 o'clock. From our three verses, we've learned about one of the strong features of joy, which is contentment. A contented person has the strength to do all things through Christ Jesus, which comes by prayer. The spirit of might rests on a contented person. I pray that may the spirit of might rest upon you so that you can do all things. Doing all things is not just ability. Doing all things means you are able to endure the seasons. The night seasons the day seasons. Amen. I pray that may we receive might to endure the vicissitudes of life, the changing scenes of life. So today we've learned about contentment, which is a feature of joy. And contentment means you are sufficient for oneself. I pray that may we experience that sort of contentment where we will not need support. Because sometimes if you always need support, you become a burden to society and nobody will like to help you when you are constantly in need of support. May you come to a place where you can say that truly Jehovah Jireh is my provider. Contentment. The second definition of contentment is you are independent of external circumstances. May you be independent of external circumstances. Not that you don't have a care, but 
you know who you trust. I don't know what holds tomorrow, but I know who holds tomorrow. My life is in his hands. And number three, you are satisfied with your lot. Be satisfied at every stage in which you are. Don't compare your life to a celebrity. Don't compare your life to a friend. Don't make your life too miserable and too hard. Maybe downsize. Maybe downsize. Downsize. Maybe that's the wisdom God is telling you. Downsize. Why are you driving a car that makes you sweat so much? You know you can't afford the car. The only thing that you get is people who say the car is nice. That's all. And maybe you post it on your social media handle, your Twitter or your, your Instagram or your Facebook, your SPSX. That's all. What sort of misery is that? But meanwhile, you are not happy. Downsize. Learn to be content. But you can only be content when joy has fully expressed and manifest itself in your life as a believer. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We bless your holy name. Thank you for a strong feature of joy we've learned tonight on contentment. And we pray that may we come to a place of contentment because our joy is being made full and perfect by having a vibrant relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for giving me three more minutes of your time. I appreciate it. God bless you. Enjoy the rest of your week. And I'll see some of you on Sunday. Good night.